today we have a great conversation with Sean Connor, head boys basketball coach at Antioch High School. Coach Connor's 20 years of experience gives him such a great perspective on the game of basketball and coaching. We talk a little bit of everything basketball with Coach Connor on this episode of the After the Timeout Podcast. All right, so coach, we like to start every episode with our opening tip. And, you know, it's been something I've been thinking about is why people choose, you know, the programs they choose to to run. So for you, I wanted to start off with, you know, first of all, why Antioch? What made you decide that it was the program you wanted to interview for, you know, you wanted to lead and then kind of take us through the process um, of that interview and when it kind of felt like it was the perfect fit for you. I actually got comfortable with Antioch um, with some people that I work with at DePaul Pratt, uh, who had lake houses up this way. And so I'd come up here for the summer and, and hang out a little bit. And even though I grew up in Woodstock, you know, it wasn't a town I was real familiar with because we would never go east. We'd always go west to Geneva and Polo and Dixon, where all my mom's family's at. Um, and then my dad's got family way northern Wisconsin with my mom. So we go north and I never really came east. Um, and then I, I had a, a baseball coach to Paul Prep um, actually ended up coming up to Antioch at the same time I did. And we kind of just talked about like, yeah, hey, you know, it looks like it'd be a great town and a great district to work in. Um, and then conveniently, uh, we were looking for homes. And uh, at the time, we were kind of in the Plains Park Ridge area and not exactly in our wheeled house financially, especially on, as you guys know, a private school salary. <laughs> so um, my wife found a house up in Gray's Lake. And uh, obviously we're like 15 minutes. We literally live off 83. So it's a 15 minute shot for me to the high school. Um, I actually applied for the job a couple years ago and they hired Tim Bowen, you know, who's been around forever and been doing this thing a long time. And so you really can't get mad when you lose out to a guy like that. You know, he knows what he's doing. Um, and then he's now the head coach at uh, College of Lake County. So when it opened up again, we just happened to be living up here. And uh, I was like, all right, let's try one more time. So I, I interviewed out. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, I got to make sure I say this, like Eric Simpson at Marist is one of the best dudes out there. Um, you know, obviously having Tom and my, my always having my back is helpful. And, and that kind of helps me navigate the waters. And, and he got me connected with Eric and Eric did like an hour and a half on call interview over the phone while he's driving home to Indiana. And that really made me feel confident about the interview. And uh, I can't really say that if I wouldn't have had that experience with him, with an AD, right, that driving you through the tough questions, that I would have been fully prepared. Um, and I walked in the interview with Antioch and, and had zero butterflies. Like, I felt like I was ready to go. And so once I got to know the town, you know, it's really similar to Woodstock, blue collar, kind of out on the rim of the suburbs in the country, um, kids work you know, not just at school and in the weight room and all that stuff, but they all have jobs too, you know, and kind of like my friends that I grew up with. And so the community really just resonated with me from that aspect on a personal level. And uh, so when I kind of got in, like from day one, I've just kind of felt like I belonged. So in kind of doing our research and kind of learning about you a little bit, um, we read that you like your players to take ownership of the program. And I, I think that's that's said a lot, but it's easier said than done, right? So what are some of the things you do to make your program player-centered? Um, and then, you know, when you have those kids who maybe quite aren't bought in, um, how do you handle that? And then, you know, like, how do you increase that buy-in 
with those kids, but all your kids? Um, I'll start with the tougher one, right? The, the getting to buy in. Um, I very big on one-on-one meetings. Same thing I would be as a teacher, right? If I had a tough kid in class. And so, you know, one thing I learned being under a lot of the head coaches I was with, but especially Tom, like he's big on relationships and he has lots of meetings with guys to make sure we're very transparent on this is your role, right? When you hear him talk a lot, he always talks about role. And so I thought it would be very important for me that when I came in to the kids get to know me to meet with them one-on-one. But we had a exit summer meeting, then a preseason meeting then a mid-season meeting, and then a summer or a spring exit meeting after the season, right? So I'll mandatorily make them meet with me four times a year so that I can make sure that we're on the same page, right? Talking about not just on their on-court development and how they fit with the team, but obviously looking at grades and behavior and, and those kind of things and making sure we have that in check. So you can imagine like outside of those four meetings, you guys are head coaches, you know, kids come in your office voluntarily, right? Which is what you hope happens. Um, but also, you know, you may have to pull kids in and say, let's have a meeting. Um, so I feel like having that open door with these kids to make sure that they understand that I'm not hiding anything, right? That That's the first way to get by and to make sure that they know when they're in practice, why you're making the decisions you're making, right? You know, and, and so I saw you guys had a data question on here about analytics, but um, I think huddle is probably one of the best things that happened for us because, you know, for the most part, it's pretty reliable, right? You know, they're always off a little here and there, but to have that there and be able to show kids like this is exactly why you're in the position you are in terms of your role on the team, I think is helpful. Um, so that's one way. When I took the job to, you know, like, again, I, this is something I kind of took from Tom. It's, you know, his goals are win conference, win state, right? Like, that's it. You know, it's great to have the tournaments in between. And I think those are great uh, things you learn about yourself and confidence builders. Uh, but I, I wanted to make sure the guy set the bar. Like, what the, I think the last time they had been downstate as a school was 1981. Right. And they ended up losing to Quincy one at all. So I think you can't get really mad about that. Quincy's got a pretty good history. Um, and uh, and so what I wanted to do is make sure that nobody really felt like I was coming in to impose what I felt was best. And so um, I know if you guys check out our Twitter handle, we have our culture ball. You know, a lot of coaches have culture walls and stuff, but I'm not going to lie. I don't have a whole lot of space to post stuff. You know, if you go to Coach Livetino's office at Loyola, it's like a college office and he's got all his signs in there and their sayings and their data and, you know, what he tracks. And it's, it's pretty wild, um, you know, but I don't really have that kind of space. So hopefully I'll build one up one day, maybe in the office I'm in. So we kind of created a culture ball. Um, and I don't know if you guys have some time where you might be able to let me share screen but I'll kind of share that with you again but I felt like that was a big piece of our guys learning what we were and I didn't let them do anything with that till after Christmas right like I felt we had to go through the process um, and you know we invited seniors back who weren't on the team um, last year you know they decided to come back out obviously having Marshall's a freshman's a big adjustment for people um, and then we had a, a couple kids sit out, you know, for health reasons or, or uh, Jake Malik's out with an ACL. So these guys really had to redefine what they were as a group because they didn't have this junior class that they had relied on that was ballyhooed and talked about in town. You know, they didn't fall apart as a group, but guys weren't there. You know, so there are pieces that were gone and new pieces added in. And then, you know, you have the fortunate of having a kid like Marshall be in the program. You know, so I felt like they couldn't really decide what their culture was until we went through the process of the first half of the season, figuring out who we were as a team. And then right after Christmas, we kind of developed that culture ball. 
um, like I said, that we kind of have posted on our different areas. And so I feel like between the meetings and allowing the kids to kind of develop what our identity is going to be as a program, those were kind of our first steps this year in trying to create player ownership. So really interesting. I, I, I like the idea of the culture ball. That's really interesting. I wanted to do a quick follow-up. So, you know, let's say that in those meetings, you have a kid and they're just not buying in. Like they're just not like they, you may think this is their role. They may think this is their role as we've all experienced. Kind of take me through that conversation. Um, so it's been good this year. It's been player driven first, right? I've only had a couple kids where the parent came in later um, and we got to that point where it's like, okay, we really got to lay it out for everybody to make sure we're on the same page. Uh, so when a kid comes in, I'll have the data printed out from Huddle. Um, and you know, the great thing about Huddle too is it hyperlinks all the video clips, right? So for instance, if I have some kids that are turning the ball over too much, I'll actually sit down and I'm using that as a teaching session, right? So we had, right, we were giving up like 25 turnovers a game to start the season. It was a rough start. And I think we played three conference champs in the first five games. So it's not like an ideal situation to be restarting a program, right? And so I'll pull up that game. Okay, you had seven turnovers. We're going to watch all of them and talk about decision-making, right? And I, I think that was probably the major emphasis with our team all years. A lot of times when I had these meetings with kids, it was really about decision-making right? Whether you were making a decision on or off ball on defense, or you're making a decision on or off ball on offense. And so to be able to pull up just those specific hyperlinks, right? Not have to sift through tape and wait for things really makes the meeting beneficial for both because we can be efficient because you're not spending this time sifting through tape. You're watching it, you're talking about it, you're live. And then that gives you the time for the reflection at the end, right? And we all know as teachers, like, you know, given the time in the classroom, walking around helping 20 some kids, like I, I feel like I always lost time for reflection, right? Not having enough time to be able to stop and, okay, what does this fit into in the bigger picture for you as a player? And then your role in the team, right? So then we take that data that we looked at, whether it was shot selection, or again, you know, maybe you didn't get in a gap on help side, or you didn't close out with the hand up, right? Being able to talk about specific things and then set goals, Right. Like to me, that's the next piece. Once you see it and you have a chance to reflect on it, now let's set a goal for yourself. You know, what is it we want to accomplish in practice and in games until we have to meet again? Um, so a lot of those meetings occurred the first half, right, before we had our midseason meetings around Christmas and, and then try to see if there's been growth. Right. And then and then I did have a couple of kids where we had meetings kind of halfway through that conference slate right in January. You get around MLK weekend. And, you know, okay, hey, let's sit down, you know, all right, you haven't been getting minutes in games. Let's look at what's been going on in practice. Um, so I didn't chart practice as heavily this year, um, but I had probably one of the best managers I'll ever have. You know, I'm going to really miss having him around, um, but he was able to track some things for me, uh, you know, when we did scrimmages and things and, and look at that stuff. But I think once you really are transparent with the kids, they know what they need to work on. It's very easy to sit down and get them at some point to then be honest with you. Hey, you know, how do you think your turnovers were in practice this week in decision-making, you know, so we're prepping for Clark and Terry heads going to press me the whole game, you know, and Hey, you know, you had three turnovers in the backcourt and then you also made a couple in the front court, you know, and they're going to be a lot longer than we are. So, um, you know, the, those kind of things to me, continuous meetings, continuous conversation, continuous goal setting and continuous reflection, and then turning in the player, right. And saying, okay, what are you seeing? Because if you're not getting their truth 
and they're just hearing you spit at them about what you see, that kid really, I don't think is ever going to maybe fully buy in if you're saying like, you know, they're kind of being hardheaded about what's the truth, you know, so I try to let them speak so I can hear what they're seeing before I tell them my opinion as a coach, you know, which is, I think probably, you know, another question you guys have is 20 lessons, you know, that you've learned, you know, or 20 years of lessons you've learned is, you know, I've obviously worked under some guys that were very general, you know, and, uh, or word generals, right. And telling you, and this is what it's going to be. And, you know, that, that person the sage on stage and, you know, I've never been that kind of coach. I I'm a player's coach and I want to hear from my guys first so that I can direct conversation and allow them to lead it the best I can until you do get to the point and say, okay, well, this is what I'm seeing and this is going to be your role. And then that's where, you know, I had a couple parent meetings too, to make sure that we were on the same page. So they're not going home and having a conversation. That's not the same as the one that we're having in my office. So this is obviously something Todd and I can relate to having both coached in the Catholic league, having both coached in the East suburban conference, but obviously for a long time, you were the sophomore coach at DePaul, um, as you've kind of referenced. And, you know, we just kind of wanted to talk about that experience a little bit. So what was it like for you personally, you know, coaching in the CCL, you know, where even at the sophomore level, there's elite talent all the, all over the place. And kind of what did those years in coaching in that league kind of teach you? I was humbled. <laughs> and when you're in your mid twenties and I only, I've never been an assistant coach, right? Head freshman coach, head sophomore coach, even for Tom, the one year at York, always the head of my AAU team, coach 17U. So I'm walking in and I'm like, I know this game, I'm good. And then you get under a guy like Tom and you realize, you know, nothing about basketball <laughs> and he doesn't make you feel like that, but you just watch what he does at the level he does it at and how he adjusts based on his personnel. And I was like, okay, I got a long way to go. You know, and I always felt I was good with my X's and O's. I didn't know how to teach defense a lick. Right. And so that was the, the first thing. And I had to do it because just like Tom, right. You know, when he restarted and you guys know this, we built from scratch and he's pulling up everybody. So I'm left with kids who might not even be like starting on the freshman team, <laughs> playing at the sophomore level. And as you know, like, I'm not going to lie. If you don't have some dudes that are going to play in college on the sophomore team, you're probably going to get your butt kicked. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that was humbling for me because it really taught me the importance of defense. And I don't think I would have had the season I did this year if I didn't realize how important it was to teach the guys to guard right, and do all the little things, diving on the ball, taking charges, you know, value possessions, no live ball turnovers, you know, once you get the ball back. Um, so that that experience from, you know, coaching very little talent and having to teach them how to do everything you could to milk out defensive possessions and get good shots, the guys who couldn't get a shot on their own and had a hard time even helping each other get shots, right, to the point where I had a sophomore team that I didn't even have to coach, right, like you would have had to not know anything about basketball and and be oblivious to the game to probably lose with that team I had right Brian Matthews Dylan Arnett so you have two six eight kids in the front court and then three guys Rashid Bello Jabari Sawyer and Cam Lewis who all went on to play D2 D3 college basketball like you know so that's almost cheating right like you shouldn't have that kind of talent on a sophomore team so I, I was spoiled but I also got my butt kicked for a couple of years because I just had guys that we were making the best of what we had and teaching them from scratch. But then we got the feeder program going. Tim Forberg started that when he was there. And then I kind of took it over under Tom's direction. You know, and you guys know, like once you get that going, like that's where you get your depth, right? So now you're not playing five guys. You might, you know, I watched Tom 
elite eight downstate, he's playing six or seven where you watch Nashville, they didn't sub the whole game against those guys. Right. So having that feeder program, I think two or three guys out of the seven Tom was playing this year, you know, we get through feeder. So that was huge. All right. So you, you talked about your process at Antioch, um, you know, but obviously you've been in the Catholic league, you've been a lot of, around a lot of great coaches, AU ball, all that stuff. So when you're, when you're looking for, for a job and when you're, you're talking to people, right. And, and networking, um, what, what questions should you be asking administrators, athletic directors, coaches to, to find out if it's that right fit? Cause that's, that's a, that's a big part of, uh, you know, finding a, a program for yourself. Uh, you know, I, I know personally going through the process when I first started doing it, I didn't know what I was doing. Like you kind of said, right. And you had a mentor that kind of helped you through it and here's some questions. Um, but what, what questions do you think you should be asking athletic directors, head coaches during the interview process? And maybe what are some of the interesting questions like you've heard of, or, or maybe you were asked along the way? Yeah, you're kind of foreshadowing because for 30 second time out, I want to talk about coaching mentoring. So I was going to ask you guys, like, what, you know, whether it's Todd or John, um, you know, did you guys have anybody you leaned on? Because I'm not going to lie, Matt Monroe, if you can tell, is one of the most organized people, like probably to a extent that it's OCD, right? And he had pages of questions from all the yeah. interviews he had been in. Like, did you guys have access to anything like that when you were head coaches? Um, I would say I had a little bit. Um, I actually have known Matt for a long time. We first coached against each other when we were sixth grade boys, uh, feeder coaches long, long, long ago. Um, but yes, I would say I definitely had mentors of mine that, that helped me along. Um, I, I will say that, that even though Todd and I are, are kind of, uh, co in, in age and experience, I think we've helped each other along. Um, so I, I think that that's always helpful, even if it's not a mentor, just to have somebody to run ideas off of when you're a head coach, you're applying to jobs. Uh, I don't know if that answer was great, but I'll see if Todd can uh, answer that. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough when I really started kind of figuring out what I did. I had a buddy at a Swigo East that was uh, an AD. So he had kind of some of those questions he would ask. And then Sean, I know, you know, uh, Troy Johnson, Illinois Stars, he's, he's my guy. Um, yeah. so I bounce things off of him all the time. Like, what do you think? You know, uh, what do you, what have you heard about the program? You know, kind of, kind of things like that, just to get some background on it. Um, you know, and to know going in some, some things to ask or some things to talk about. So, you know, I just try to try to find anybody, anybody I can or people that I know and just, just ask questions. And I think I have a whole like list of things. Every time I go to whatever interview, I would just Oh, I've never heard that question before. Let's put it down. Make sure you answer it. So, <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm spoiled, right? Like for better or for worse, because I moved around a lot when I was young, you know, you got everything from Rob Judson to Mark Lindo to Phil Ralston to Tom to Terry Head. You know, I've, I've been under some of the better ones. Joe Conroy, too. He was at Women's D1 for a long time. Then was at um, Woodstock and then it was at Kishwaukee. Now he's at Kish or sorry, Caneland. And now he's at Kishwaukee community college as the boys head coach. So I'm, I feel like I'm very spoiled because none of those guys have ever left my side. Right. And so like, you know, Tom's going to be there, but all those other guys checked in with me all the time and then having access to a guy like Matt. So he gave me all these questions and I'm going through and I'm like, okay, well, Matt's applied for public school jobs, but a lot of private too. And you're sitting there like you guys are the questions you're going to get asked aren't going to be the same. Right. Like 
I may even sit and talk about religion a little bit in my private school job. But, you know, when you're going public school, it's like, hey, you probably want to stay off that to begin with, you know, as I'm coming from church this morning. Um, so I, I would say this. I think I got fortunate with Antioch in the fact that the school was built in 1915. So like you can look up anything on that town, right? Like photos of when it was built, like there's so much history there. And you know, it was crazy talk about building culture. Um, our guys didn't even know what our logo stood for. So like I walk in the first day of camp and I'm, I got them in a circle. I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Right? Like circle means unity, arrow means forward. The two feathers mean together. It's like, you know, you guys don't know anything about the history of this school. You know, so that's why we did the 1981 thing um, where I brought all the players back and we had them and did a ceremony. So, you know, when you talk about asking the right questions, to me, it started with the history. Like, you know, what am I walking into? Right. And there wasn't a lot of basketball success. So, you know, as a coach, then you got to find other stuff. Right. Little successes are history to lean on. You know, so I brought in recent players like Kobe Creasy and Dan Philippone that are playing in college. So when I went in and asking questions, I actually abstained from the basketball stuff because I'm trying to figure out like, why has basketball not been successful for 40 years? You know, so when you get in the interview, right? Like I got a, I don't know how your guys was. I know it depends on the high school, but I got a horseshoe table of like 20 people, you know? So I, I see how that yep, can be no intimidating. Yep. But you know, I really, I really, you know, with the help of Matt and Tom and Eric Simpson and Phil Ralston, even Scott Henning, I talked to a lot at Geneva and, you know, Mark and all those guys that were in my corner that I mentioned, like they warned me about like, hey, the community might ask this, you know, the uh, the teachers might ask this, the players they had in the room and the students from the school might ask this, you know, so I felt I walked in ready to go on that. Um, and so there wasn't really anything that caught me off guard. Um, you know, I think one one question that stood out to me and, and you know, you guys can relate to because you spend a lot more time, you'll have a little more talent coming through the private schools, but recruiting. Right. And I'm sitting there going like, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm more worried about do our kids and parents know how to handle the process. Right. Do, do you guys know what you're getting into so you don't get ahead by somebody trying to take your money saying they're going to help you find a school. Um, you know, so when I walked in, I didn't have a whole lot of questions for them because I had been through it with them before. So I kind of, I think that was a bonus for me that I'd been interviewed the two years ago. Um, and, and I kind of had an idea of what the community was going to say, but things like, you know, parents were saying, Hey, you know, it's a blue collar town. There's not a lot of money. You know, a lot of other kids in other communities can go do club and get training and weightlifting training. It's like, you know, how are we going to work around those things? So I had to have an answer for that. You know, how am I going to get these guys better in the off season when the IHSA handcuffs us with off season training, right? So you got to get creative with solutions like that and, and be lucky enough to have people in your corner that can help you, you know, that may not be getting directly paid by your program, but hey, you know, yeah, you know, we'll offer skills training, you know, at the church down the street, and we'll do it here and the kids can pay this, you know, stuff like that, right? Because it's not in the community. So you got to find a way to get it there, you know, while abiding by all the rules that we got to follow. Um, so that was one of the interview questions stuck out to me is like, how are we going to develop kids in the community when there's not a whole lot of money because it's a very blue collar town? No, and I, th I think that's important. And I, I think you have emphasized it, but I do think it's important is, is just that learning from everybody as we go. I mean, you know, young, old, I mean, I, I've been sitting in this conversation with you for 20 minutes and I'm already stealing the culture ball. So I think it's, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons Todd and I started this podcast was just to learn from other people as we went. 
Um, so I, I do think that's important. So you, speaking of foreshadowing, you kind of foreshadowed a little bit, um, but you know, you, as we did some research, you know, you've been coaching now for 20 years and uh, you know, so in those 20 years, what's been some big changes in your own mindset and then uh, kind of take us through maybe some changes you've seen in players and parents and admin and those. So you guys know, being like in that 38 range, there's that whole argument or like, are you generation X? Or are you a millennial? And we get the Zenio conversation because yep, we got yep. some of that old school, like I had to get up and change the channel on the dial kind of deal. And uh, I'm dead honest with you. My first two years as a manager for Rob Judson at NIU, we had VHS, man. So like, you know, I've gone from VHS tapes to trading tape online. You know, I remember when Mark Lindo at Naperville North let me volunteer and I'm meeting coaches in parking lots, exchanging DVDs, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, so then I, I sit here and I look at my assistants and I send them out to scout like two times each. And I'm sitting here going like, you guys have no idea. And now I feel like I'm the old man. Right. Um, you know, so like something like that, like film. You know, like Judd would call me like two in the morning and have me set up film in his hotel room. You know, I was like, why couldn't you tell me to do that at nine o'clock? You know, so I'm busting the lock off the TV to access the co coax in the back and stacking two VCRs on a trunk and running like five coax cords. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you just think about that stuff or like Ray Gooden's been a volleyball coach at NIU forever. And I'll never forget, like his manager was gone and he walked into the basketball office and just had two VCRs in his hands and cords everywhere, like help me, you know, and this guy's one of the best coaches probably in college volleyball. So I, I just, you know, that kind of stuff makes me laugh. And it's funny because I don't think many people from our generation would realize like that, you know, we were doing that stuff when we first started, you know, and just all the change that's happened just from a film standpoint. Right. But then you talk about the style of the game. Like I remember in high school, I'm running three around two blocker mover because everybody's copying Bob Knight you know, and, and then you get to high school and we were there and Judd studied under Bill Self. So he, we ran triangle for a while, you know, and then he ran swing. And then, uh, you know, luckily that prepared me because a couple of my first jobs with Joe Conroy and Phil Ralston, and Joe ran triangle and Phil run swing to this day, right at Glenbrook South, um, you know, and, and then, uh, and then going through that and then getting with Tom and getting more into five-man motion when we we're at York and had David Cohn and Frankie Tui and some, some good players there, you know, and so really learning motion concepts as opposed to structured motion, right, where you got only a couple reads you can make and going to the point where you got to teach kids how to read and react. And I know like uh, Rich Zluski, that's an assistant at Chris Lake South now, right, but has that I think it's better basketball or something that Rich was really big into read and react offense. And, and so I think like, you know, you go to that, right. And then I, I always prided myself. I work with the big guys at NIU. So I had a lot of bigs in AAU and I'm feeding the ball in the post and the post, right. And going inside and going inside. And, and now you see how the game is so perimeter oriented. Um, you know, so I just think like from the time of being a manager and now you look at how much the game's changed and you just kind of go like, man, where's it going to go next? You know, like what's going to be the new emphasis, you know, for for us to evolve the basketball game outside of bigger, stronger, faster, you know, athletes who everybody can dribble, pass and shoot. Um, but I'll give you one like when I got to full package under Steve Pratt 10 years ago, Steve was already talking about like everybody's got to be able to do everything, you know, and so that really helped me as a coach, because like there are times this year we probably could have posted up our guards and I'm going to blame myself like I didn't work on posting up a lot because we were small. And then I sit here and I look at some times at the end of the season where we could have done that. 
not just with Marshall, but some of our other guards. And, you know, and, and reminding myself and going back to those days where I learned like swing and flex and motion, you know, like, you know, teach everybody to do everything. And so I think that's where we're at now. You know, you go from where, you know, guys were screeners and, and movers and then you go, okay, well, we're going to run triangle and these guys are going to be posts and these guys are going to be guards, you know, and, and now you're at a point where it's like, man, anybody who can dribble pass and shoot, you're handling the ball. And if you can't, you're probably going to be a screener and a finisher for us. You know, and, and maybe that doesn't look traditional, right? You know, like watching Gonzaga last night, you know, and Chet Holmgren reminds you that. But, um, you know, I, I look at what our guys did this year and, you know, we found roles. But Tom is probably one of the best at DePaul at doing that. You know, you got Cam Lewis, who's a guard, is six feet tall, playing the four, because that's a role he bought into. And it was the role that best helped us win games. And he did. And you end up going downstate because you get kids like that to buy into roles like you were talking about. You know, so, I mean, he may be a 5'11", four man, but you know what? He's always in the right spot on defense. He doesn't turn the ball over. He can hit open shots, and he's always talking. You know, and so you kind of find I, – I think I've evolved my coaching as to pigeonholing kids into spots just because you're tall or you can do this to, okay, like, these are the skills you can do. All right, you need to be a playmaker for us, right? These are the skills you have. You need to kind of do your work off the ball. You know, and, and, and it doesn't matter how tall you are, you know, you may be, you know, six foot five, but you might be our best guard, you know, maybe you're five foot 11, but you're tough as hell and you're going to rebound and you're going to guard and, you know, we switch like they do at Paul, you know, so you're going to get up and pressure and you're going to fight and dive in the floor and take charges, right? So yeah, I feel like it's easier to find roles for guys now because we're not pigeonholing so much in motion offenses that are so structured. That, that flex is still around. Providence was running it uh, yesterday. I they, saw that they, video they, clip this morning. Yeah, they were they were they were going after it. Um, all right. So you mentioned analytics. Uh, you, you're you're a math teacher. So um, let's talk about how you feel those are important in basketball coaching, right? We talked about how we've evolved, right? So now you have all those stats. You don't have to go sit down with the VHS and chart every single possession and this and that. You can just open up puddle for the most part it's it's pretty close um and then what specific analytics do you look at to decide if your team's doing the right things it doesn't matter win or loss just you're on the right path you're, you're doing the right things offensively and defensively um I, I would say probably three of the features i like the most um on huddle are one just the box score right like after a game because I'm probably like most guys, we all have an iPad on the bench. So that way we can have halftime talks and make adjustments, you know, as the game's going on and seeing, you know, who's playing well, who's not, you know, what are we doing well against them? And, you know, what's the data look like? You know, you have your meeting at half and you make adjustments. Um, but when I'm looking at that huddle data, there's times I'm like, man, you know, like I'm a nerd, right? Like you said, math teacher, I teach stats. Like I love all that stuff. You know, I could sit here, break down regressions and start doing tests with stuff if I wanted to, but you know, like to me, like in high school, you know, I'm, some of the things I'm seeing with guys is like, okay, simple's better, right? You know, uh, less is more kind of thing. So uh, when I'm pulling it out, you know, I don't get too deep outside of the box score. And then I'll look at what we're doing as a team holistically for the season, which Tom always did a lot. And that really helped me look like learn where to look for and what to look for. Um, you know, and then the last piece is that I got into more this year was lineups, right? Like huddle will track all your lineups. And so over Christmas break, um, 
that gave me some time to do that. And I really learned a lot about our team. And I think that was probably just one thing out of many that helped us be better the second half of the season. Um, outside of the fact that we played a really rough schedule for a team that's rebuilding, you know, all four A schools during Christmas, like, you know, we probably weren't ready for that at the time. Um, but helped me look at like, you know, what are our best lineups? And I, I found out like it was when we were small, you know, um, you know, and you're, I said, really fortunate to have a kid like Marshall. He's probably a once in a generation kid in Antioch um, on and off the court, you know, but moving him as much as I wanted to play him on the wing, because that's probably where he's going to play in college is the one through three. You know, there were times at the end of games, we're moving him to the four and the five because he's our best athlete around the rim. He's our leading rebounder. And luckily as a freshman, he wasn't being hardheaded about that. He would just take on that role. You know, we had multiple times where Joe Newman fouled out and uh, he's our center. He's an all-state tight end. And I think he's ranked like three in the state right now. And we're playing Lakes with six, seven Brock Marino and Marshall's guarding him in the high post while they're running chimp. You know, so it's, I, I again, you talk about buying and how all the stuff ties in. I'm using the data and then I'm going back to the guy saying, hey, we got to do this. And this is how we're going to finish games if we want to win. You know, and it paid off for us. I was I was trying to play too big earlier in the season instead of putting probably what was our best combination of five on the floor, and it made a big difference for us. So um, that's just one example of I think analytics is here of what I've done in terms of looking at box scores again, looking at our whole season, and then looking at you know the lineups portion of it, which can be kind of daunting if you don't know what you're looking at, right? Because it literally tracks every combination you have. So I sat there with my assistant coach, and you know we went through it and you know, looked at, um, you know, okay, offensively, okay, rebounding wise, turnover wise, all right, and then on the defensive end of the floor, you know, what are our opponents doing against these lineups, um, and, you know, I said, we started the season and turning the ball over 20 plus times a game, got down to 14, 15 a game, which is still too many, but it was better, right, and then all our shooting percentages went up 5% in every category, you know, so I, I just feel like that is invaluable because, again, you don't have to sit there and do it on your own. You know, we're all, I'm already up late at night cutting up film and I'm in my 2B baby room. <laughs> you know, we got one due in June. And I'm like, man, how am I going to be up till midnight cutting film? You know, so having that to me is just it was helpful for our team this year. It made a big difference in what we were doing. So it, kind of in going with that, the teaching and the using of analytics is kind of the why of everything. And um, we were talking to our last guest, uh, Cole Hunton of, of Amundsen, just about the communicating of the why and what you're doing with your players. So, you know, how much for you personally, do you go about communicating the why of what you're doing to your players? Actually, you know what, I'll, I won't forget this meeting we had. So once I got done going all through that and then we applied it after Christmas, we had another sit down meeting about halfway through conference, right? So we, we got to play our conference twice, which is, you know, different in the Catholic league. It's like, uh, if we can get by Loyola once, I'm good. Cause I don't got to see him again. Uh, you know, thank God. Cause I hate playing against that defense. It's impossible to score. Um, so, you know, you got to go back through your schedule again and play all these guys. It's like, okay, we got to get better. So that was my next stopping point of data is stopping halfway through the league and going, okay, what do we got to do? And so um, I sifted through it and then we had a big meeting, right? So I print off the data that I want the kids to focus on. I don't just hand them everything, right? Like I'll screenshot it, drop it. Okay, let's look at this. Sometimes I did that with just my guys who got most of the minutes, right? There was a point in the season, I printed off the turnovers that we had for every guy who, who played a lot of minutes for us. And I'm like, guys, tell me what you noticed. 
right? But that's how I start that conversation. I, I, uh, I have a sheet and it asks them just a few questions, but it's, it's like a teacher, right? You give somebody a worksheet and you got to do the reading and you got to notice what's going on. And so I'll have a sheet I print off and I'll ask them questions. Okay, what do you notice? And I'll give them time, right? Like, like I'm teaching in class. And then they do it individually. And then I put them in groups by position. So I got the guards, the wings, and the forwards. Okay, what do you guys notice? And we did breakout rooms. So I had me in one room, my assistant in a room, and my one of my other assistants in another room. And then all the rooms came together at the end, and we shared out on the whiteboard. Right now, it's not like everybody's got that much time in the day, so we did it on a Saturday. But I just felt it was really necessary for our guys to see that and recognize it with, again, not me just telling them and being the general up in front and saying, okay, this is what's going on. They were able to identify where we had to get better. And we were shooting 25% from three, but I printed out all our conference games and our three guards were shooting over 40%. I said, well, why aren't we getting these guys more shots, right? And then my guy in the middle started getting more confident in the middle and he's scoring 60% of the time when he's touching. I'm like, why aren't we giving him the ball more? You know, we're going to get luckily 13 and six out of our stud freshmen, but we're not going to win games if you guys aren't going to start maximizing our efficiency in the categories that we are best efficient at. And again, we got better, right? Like we weren't shooting a lot of threes. We were shooting like eight, seven or eight a game because we couldn't, you know, but we put the work in during the season and they got more confident. And by the end of the year, we had three or four guys whose shots got better. And it's like, guys, you know, we got teams taking 20 threes against us. So we got to start knocking down some threes because eventually we're going to see somebody and they're going to hit, you know, five, six, seven. Or in Woodstock's North case, they threw in 10 in the first half. You know, like, how are you going to come back from that? You're not. So, you know, I, that's another part of combining the analytics and also the why. So, yeah, we did that breakout rooms. The guys looked at the data. They posed it to each other in their rooms. Then we all came together and they all threw up what they saw. And luckily you saw a lot of common trends. But, you know, that's something I did like at the end of January, right? You know, like we wouldn't have been able to do that back in November, December, right? This was after, and, and you could ask the guys, this is one of their favorite things of the season. They love to knock me out, but we had four hour Saturdays to start the season, right? We're coming in, we're watching film, we're practicing for two hours and then we're lifting, you know, and nobody ever asked these guys to do that before, you know, and it was tough for them, but we were better for it by the end of the season. And we won't have to do that next year, right? Because now our guys know how to navigate huddle. I know, you know, you can tell who's watching and who's not, right? So I don't have to do as much teaching on the analytics side, but, you know, doing a lesson like that to bring out the why we're doing to the players so that they're identifying it and then we can find common ground on it, I think is really important. That might be the best feature on huddle, the uh, minutes watched the film, right? <laughs> Absolutely, man. <laughs> then they can't say, oh, I was watching on Nate's account. No, no you were <laughs> right, exactly. Watch on your own account. Exactly. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you. You've had, you've coached so many good players and, and had so many experience. There's like 900 something college players now in the transfer portal. Um, I wanted to talk to you about kind of the trickle down effect of the transfer portal portal. Now that's starting to get to high school where, uh, I forget who it was. Uh, one of the NCAA teams had like four transfers in their starting lineup, right? So now these guys are going, they have aspirations to play college basketball. Um, how is that affecting our, our high school athletes now? Yeah, I mean, you look at Providence, you're just talking about, they got five grad transfer students playing, two seniors, a redshirt junior. It's like, they're older than most of the G League teams. You know, it's crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, just being honest, 
our kids are going to have to make a choice, right? Like if you're not a dude, right, you're, you're viably a dude that is noticeable. Those guys who flew under the radar and snuck into low majors, you know, in D2s or even amid sometimes, like that's just not going to happen right now. Right. You still got three years left of guys who got an extra year. And I was talking to a buddy who's a huge analytics nerd and he's been coaching D1 for a while. Um, but he said it was over 50 percent of the kids that got the extra year came back. Right. So luckily for the high school kids, that group got cut in half. There's a lot of dudes that said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to move on with my life. You know, whatever you're going to do. You know, so luckily, you know, you if you guys know math and exponential functions and how they work, you know, you're probably going to get an exponential decline, right? Exponential decay. And uh, you're going to see, you know, another however many percent of that group leave out this year, plus the graduates. So I think that's a good thing for the kids to know that those leftover guys that got that COVID year are actually rapidly decreasing. But you have all these coaches saying we want to get older, right? So you know, with, with the one-time transfer rule and I am all about it. Like, I think if you're not happy, I was glad the IHSA changed the rule, right. For a freshman, right. If a freshman went to a private school and they didn't pick the right school, you know, or they went to a public school and they want to go private, they can transfer. And at least they can play on the sophomore team, you know, as before they had to sit out a whole year. It's like, why are you knocking a 14 year old for making a decision that wasn't correct? You know, especially if you got parents that don't know anything about the process while they're trying to choose a high school. So, you know, I think that applies here. You know, you get guys who get the opportunity to transfer one time and don't have to sit. Good for them. But I think, what was it last year? They said it was over 2,000 kids from D1 and D2. And like you said, right now, we're almost at 1,000. So our kids now have to keep an open mind. If you're not open, right, if you're not going to be open to play in NAI or D3, which you should be, you know, and, and you should look at it, right? Financially, we all know you you got grades, you know, you fit the right socioeconomic status or the demographic, they'll throw you a lot of money. Um, it's it's going to be really trying for the kids to make a decision on, you know, I think you're going to find out, do you really love to play, right? Like I've had those conversations with a couple of my guys going to be seniors next year, and this is what's expected of you, right? Like just as a manager, I'm waking up at 4.45 a.m. to get out to the arena in October so the guys can do 6 a.m. conditioning. And you want to know why Jim Phillips is running the ACC after being at Northwestern and NIUs because he'd already be on the treadmill when I got there. You know, like, you know, he was a manager in college too. So, you know, I share stories like that to guys. You're talking about dudes not even on the team that are getting there that early to get stuff ready. What do you think is going to be expected of you as a player? You know, and some go, yeah, you know, man, I don't know if I can give up every day like that. You know, I don't know if that's for me. So I think it's really going to make guys reflect on how much do you love this? Because if you're not going to take, you know, a small college offer, if you, you're lucky enough to get one, you know, then, right, it's JUCO or post-grad, you know, and, and we all know the post-grads, they're not really trying to take just anybody, correct? You know that, Troy, you and Troy have been doing that for a while like I have, you know, you better be a dude too. You know, otherwise you're going to have to find a postgrad and we're going to pay 40 grand just to play. Um, and, and I'm really hoping all of this changes the image of JUCO, right? Because you're going to have some different cats going to JUCO who would have never considered it before, but it's the only place you're going to get some playing time to prove yourself at the college level. Um, so I, I think there's some really good that comes out of this in terms of really narrowing down, like how much do you love playing college ball? And I think it's going to actually amp up the amount of talent that you see going to JUCO until these 
COVID extra years filter out. Cause then I'm going to be curious to see what college coaches do now. You know, like, okay, you don't get all these extra guys hanging around. So high school kids are going to be, have to be recruitable again, but I still right think it's going to, you know, if you're not a dude again, or you're not physically ready to go, you know, look at the seven, three kid from Bartlett. Like he can't get a sniff at a division one offer. Uh, everybody wants him to go post-grad, you know, but I'm sitting here going like, okay, well, if you don't do that, what if you go Juco and you want a red shirt, like then a coach still knocks you because you haven't played. And, you know, like, so I, I feel like some of these D one guys are like trying to have their cake and eat it too. And so when all these extra players go out, I'm going to be curious to see again, how everything changes. Cause like you said, the trickle down effect is going to be different now. Cause you don't have all these extra post-grad grad transfer dudes in there, but um, you know, not just with the transfer portal, but like I said, international kids, you know, I, I looked up, uh, I posted it on Twitter the other day. I think I looked up San Francisco's roster. They have seven guys from overseas and they're not from the same country. It's not St. Mary's where they got the Australian pipeline going, right. you know? So I, high school kids, man, like, you know, I think some of them don't understand like what you got to do to put yourself in a position. And then by the time they realize that it's too late. So, you know, I, I do hope a change to the image of Juco. I think you'll start seeing more kids who are dedicated to it, going into it and kids who don't realize it getting out. But to me, that's an information thing, right? Like these kids these days have access to anything they need to make a decision. You know, and that's not a BS we know out there too, but you know, like new company like Honest Game that's doing the academic side of things, you know, and then coaches getting more knowledgeable what's going on because you can hear it, see it, read it, you know, videos everywhere. Um, so the, the portal has been bad for high school players but I think it's good for the game overall because all of this is going to start weeding out kids who aren't putting in the work. So we wanted to kind of get into a little bit of the NCAA tournament with you. And, you know, Todd and I are always interested when we talk to our guests that, you know, are watching the NCAA tournament, you know, men's or women's, and maybe just some takeaways you have taken from watching some of the tournament games that you can use or apply to your high school players. Yeah, talk about video, right? Like you got threads of guys posting like clips of offensive sets. Like, so I'm sending stuff to my kids, right? Like I'm like, you know, check this. Uh, so I'm up watching the game late last night and a couple of my guys know it. And all of a sudden I'm getting texts and they see the uh, press break play that Gonzaga runs, I believe at the end where you got the five guys on the baseline. Yeah, the, football, yeah. the football route play, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Tom ran that against Leo the other night in the Elite Eight. And so all of a sudden my guys are like, coach, we got to put that in next year. Right. Like, so that lets me know, like, these guys are taking interest in the game. And so I think the takeaway for the high school kids is there's so much information on social media that you can learn from an X's and O's standpoint, right. About guys clipping out stuff at games and immediately putting on social media. But the fact that, you know, like I got guys up at 1045, maybe good or bad, but it is Saturday. So maybe not terrible, but texting me and each other about like press breaks they see and stuff. I'm like, okay, you know, this, I think we're buying in now. Um, you know, so to me, one of the takeaways is learning as a basketball player, seeing what these guys are doing under immense pressure and what's working and what's not working. Um, you know, and, and then I turn to go to, I'm like, guys, we got six press breakers. <laughs> you know, we play North Chicago who presses you the whole game in trap. So you got to keep mixing it up so they don't get in a rhythm of where to rotate and trap. And you want to add in another one. But uh, number one takeaway is video. And number two, this ties into the recruiting stuff. Like, 
you know, you can watch NAIA, you can watch JUCO, you can watch D3, right? Elmhurst made the national championship. Triton's in the final four for D1 JUCO. Pagani, undefeated D2 JUCO. Rock Valley made the final four Mm -hmm. of the D3 JUCO. Like you guys can watch these other levels and see what it's like and understand it ain't, it ain't easy. You know, that it's just as hard, if not harder. And a lot of guys who end up at those levels as you and I, and, and, and John know, like, you know, it's, probably because something happened you know why did I end up at DePaul prep I screwed up in Naperville North you know I got egotistical I got comfortable they let me go as a teacher and and maybe it was good for me because it reset me and made me take a different path and learn something about myself in life that I maybe didn't know you know and and so all these guys in these second chance schools sometimes is what you call them but you know you got to be a dude to play in those games man you know and I've followed it because you know I've had guys play at all different levels from AAU luckily enough and and so for the tournament, to me, I, I hope another takeaway is these guys is not just watching the NCAA, but the other tournaments and then realizing like a school like St. Peter's, you know, we see it Cinderella all the time. But, dude, it ain't it ain't Cinderella like these dudes can hoop and, and they got a great coach. Right. So you see what can happen when we you know what when you get that kind of mixture together. But let these guys know that going to the name school, the high major school, the mid, right, the low, like there's opportunity everywhere. You just got to seize it. I had more guys playing pro ball overseas who did not go D1 than guys that I coached in AAU that played D1. Right. So right there, you know, like it, it's not about level, man. It's about opportunity and where can you get better? You know, and and so I, I hope kids start seeing more of this, that it's not about going to the big school, you know, but unfortunately, I quick piece of data, a friend of mine that coached at Illinois Springfield's a recruiter for them now. And he was speaking at our school the other day and he told me during COVID, well, what happened when we got out of it? Where did everybody go to college? All the names, right? Like names they're familiar with. So he had a hard time getting kids going to Springfield, even out of the demographics they usually get because they're not a name. You know, so I, I, you know, unfortunately with advertising stuff, I think it still exists. So we just have to continue to work harder as coaches and advocates and mentors, you know, to keep showing these kids where they can go see so that they understand, like, it's not about level and that you can make yourself a better basketball player by watching these games, because there's so much information out there now in terms of X's and O's and, you know, guys who are trying to get video jobs are clipping stuff up and throwing it on social media. You know, it's like, it's like free knowledge you know, that you wouldn't have got before because you would have had to go to a coaching clinic just to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at just, and although I use this example all the time, just go watch a CCIW game. Just just yeah. go, go sit and watch a CCIW game. And you talk about some dudes, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of dudes there. All right, so I want to transition to skill development. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pin you down here a little bit. You only get three things in skill development. Your top three. For whatever reason, these are the only things you could do. They, they held the gun to your head and said, these are the only three things you can do in your practice as far as skill development. What would they be? Uh, so first one's going to be shot mechanics. Uh, but before that, I always start with footwork. So I'm going to go footwork, shot mechanics. And then once we have that, when we're doing ball handling, it's full speed, full court, going around cones, live games, going off of two feet. So, you know, when, it, when I think, you know, you can do stuff defensively, right? But, um, you know, like this is literally what I'm going to do in June. We're going to focus on shot mechanics. We're going to incorporate footwork. And then any ball handling we're doing, we're doing in the open court live, going around obstacles, right? Chairs, cones, whatever it is you got. Um, 
because the game's so fast now. Like, I don't know if you guys do, you guys still know anybody who's, especially I know in the girls games, I see a lot of permanent pivot foot. And, and I don't know if you guys have those conversations, but I just feel like the game's too fast. Like you've got to be able to pivot off both feet, you know? So we're working footwork, reverse pivot, um, you know, outside pivot, both feet, catching on both wings with that footwork, you know, and then uh, when we're doing full speed ball handling stuff, you know, the footwork then incorporates the balance piece of it, you know, so when we're rising into shots or going off two feet, um, you know, but to me, like, you can work on those shot mechanics, right? But if you don't work on the footwork, all that upper body shot mechanics stuff doesn't happen because you don't have the lower body. You know, they obviously, we all know they have to go together. Um, now, maybe that's just a focus for me right now because that's what my team needs for next year. You know, we're giving up 54 points a game. And by the time we, you know, got our defense down by the end of the season, we were giving up 43, you know, so I feel like we got our defense in place. So all my focus right now and skill development is going to be on the offensive side of the ball, but it wasn't last summer, right? Like if you would ask me when I took over the team last June, I probably would have told you defensive slides, boxing out technique, um, and then uh, diving on the floor for loose balls. <laughs> you know, like that's what I was doing last summer. We weren't even working on anything on the offensive end. Um, so if you're saying offensive skill development, it, those would be my three footwork shoot shot mechanics and open court, full court ball handling around obstacles on balance. Like it. All right. So let's, let's move to our last two segments here. 30 second timeout. Uh, you're dying your dance floor. Anything you want to talk about? And you, you kind of previewed it earlier. So, um, you, you're very loose 30 second, 30 second timeout. Um, no, no referees telling you first horn, nothing like that trying to hustle you out. So it's all you. Yeah. You know, I don't, again, you, we all know who, who's going to be watching this stuff, but you hope it's some younger coaches, you know, that are getting information out of this because it's what you guys started it for fine mentors and coaching, you know, again, because I coached at like eight different schools before I got this job, you know, that was different for me. You know, my, my mentors naturally happened because it was guys I worked for, you know, you get some guys, you just kind of stay in one or two programs the whole time. And maybe you only know those coaches on that staff. You know, find a guy like a Matt Monroe who will go out of his way to help you. You know, you find guys on the AAU side of things that can help you. You know, I think everybody's got information to share. And so it's so important as a coach that you go find different mentors. Like I know I can call and text Tom any time of day. He'll get back to me because he loves me and he'll help me out any way he can. But like you guys said, you're always going to pick something away from somebody. You know, so in the way guys do things, the way guys see things, you know, might align a little bit more with what you're trying to see. So go find multiple mentors. And just to share this out, Monroe has been talking with IBCA about creating a mentoring program for new head coaches. Um, so I think that would be fantastic for the state of Illinois, you know, to like, hey, you're a new head coach. Here's a guy in the IBCA. Join up. This is going to be your mentor, you know, because I think we all need one because. We're not talking about X's and O's, right? We're really talking about all this stuff you got to do off the court. And I mean, you guys have been paying attention last week. There's already been like 10, 12 coaches, you know, that are out of position. When's the last time all three main schools didn't have a head boys basketball coach at the same time? You're like, what's that tell you about coaching right now, man? It is tough. You know, outside all the stuff we had to go through with COVID, but, you know, again, dealing with your administrators and the building culture and parents and players and, all the other stuff that comes with it, as you guys know, you know, outside of tracking inventory for gear. And, you know, I just, I think, you know, we know I was lucky as a young, young guy, I knew what I was getting into, but I don't know if everybody does when they say, I want to be a varsity coach, what really comes with that? 
you know, so go find yourself some mentors outside of just the guys you've been working under. I always tell people that want to be a varsity coach, you'll find out 90% of your job has nothing to do with basketball. Amen. Um, all right. So we want to go to our last segment, which is quick hitters. I've actually added a couple, uh, but uh, these are just fun questions. So we'll start off with best place to eat in Antioch. Man, you guys put me in a tough spot. I'm trying to get donations. <laughs> I've only been there eight months. Um, I, I'll, I'll put it out there because people know I'm there. Uh, Cornicione's. Um, uh, but uh, Kelly Akmada's family owns it. Their son was Illinois Gatorade Player of the Year in football, and he's at Minnesota now. Um, and uh, it's literally kitty corner from the school. So that's probably one reason is location. But they got some great Italian food. And they also have two slices and a pop for $5. Hard to turn down. Yeah, you can't turn that down. That's, that's nah. good stuff right there. It's All good. right, so your, your, your funniest story of an interaction with an official. Oh, boy. Oh, Lord. Um, I'm sure you can imagine it more came from AAU than it did. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm coaching down on the West side in the city. I think it was full package at the time. And we're playing in the D row shootout down at the Salvation Army gym that they, that got built down on 115th street. And I know most of those dudes cause being in the city for so long. Uh, but uh you know, I'm, I'm trying to like have fun with the referee because I kind of know him a little bit. And they were really feeling my jokes at the time because we're playing D-Rose and it's a heated game and I got West Side kids and they got West Side kids. And then I just kind of made a joke, um, you know, about a foul that they didn't call, but I was trying to be lighthearted about it. Oh, man, I got lit up with two Texans thrown out of the gym. And you're sitting there as a coach, you're going like, all right, you know, like, what what did I do that caused that? But it was a great learning lesson for me as a young coach. Like, you know, I think you got a relationship with some people, but in the wrong moment in a heated game, you never know where somebody's mind's going to be, especially if it's an AAU rep that's been there all day. So that's my, uh, I would say my funniest for me because I had to laugh it off at the end, you know, like, and I was trying to crack jokes the whole time, um, but uh, it wasn't so funny in the officials' eyes. <laughs> All right. So uh, you kind of talked about the generation thing. So that's where I got this. Cause I feel like nobody in the younger generation eats breakfast. Are you more of a breakfast or dinner guy? Breakfast all day, all day. I'll eat it anytime, anywhere. Uh, eggs is my thing. All right. Uh, texting people are calling. Are you a text or call guy? You know, it's hilarious. I never forget when I got my first cell phone and people started texting and I'm like, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and now I'm sure if you talk to anybody I know, I'm in like three friend groups with coaching that we text all the time and I'm a texter, but I do appreciate a phone call. I'm a little bit of old school too, but I probably text way more than I call. All right. So you talked about the, the referees in AAU, but now we're, and this doesn't even have to be an on the court AAU story, but your, your best or one of your favorite AAU stories. All right. So I'm not going to tell you time and location, but it was when I had my velocity kids and I was like 25 years old and had no idea what I was doing. And I, you know, felt like I had the team of white West suburban kids that needed a little culturing. So we went down to Thornton fractional North and played in the shootout out of our element. And here's what went down from my perception. Thornton Fractionals gym is great, but the two side courts are three quarter courts. So they're not regulation length and the outside out of bounds lines cut off on the wing. So 
clearly this guy who was good friends with the tournament director was pretty pissed off that they had to play us <laughs> and he being a jerk knowing that I wasn't going to be able to win playing man sat in a three, two zone. So imagine playing at Leo, but with like less room on the sideline, <laughs> like okay. impossible. Right. Mm -hmm. So we end up winning the game and then I go to the bathroom while I'm hanging around waiting to play. It was a semifinal. So we were moving to the championship, you know, smaller tournament. And I shit you not, but there was a really, really soft handshake that had a big gap in between with some green in the middle. And, uh, you know, I think the tournament director felt bad for his guy that he put him in that situation and uh, gave him some money back, I guess. But, and, you know, I think that's probably one of the, the weaker um, $100 handshakes that you'll find in AAU. I'm sure there's many more that go down that most of us don't see, especially in the bathrooms, because that used to be the spot to go if you're a college coach looking for a player. Uh, favorite gym to coach in, not Antioch or DePaul? Wow. That's a great question, man. You know what? I'm not going to lie, and this is probably recency bias, but Sterling's got a fantastic gym. Um, that, that was something else to play in that facility. I know they hosted a super, I think this year too. Um, Ryan Vasquez, great dude. I was glad we went out there to play because I think it was good culture for my guys to learn that we have it very easy with all our opponents being about 30 minutes from our school and Sterling's got to drive three hours to play Quincy on the road in yeah. conference. Right. So I would say like so far again, recency bias, but Sterling's probably been my favorite, you know, that I can remember from, from late. All right. So in that same vein, but kind of the opposite, what's the hardest gym for you to coach in as an opposing coach? Oh, it's Leo. I hate playing there. <laughs> It's almost as bad as Providence St. Mel because um, Providence St. Mel really makes you feel like you're boxed in. At least Leo has a couple sets of rows of bleachers on each side of the floor. But um, man, that senior group that Tom had this year, you know, when I had him, we, we won the conference, but we had four losses. You tell me the last time you saw a team in the Catholic League, ESCC, wherever, win the conference with four. You don't get four. Yeah. Uh, we just had a lot of parity. But Leo went into that one, two, two half court trap with that group they had this year. And like, we just couldn't do anything with it. We only lost by 11, but I, I just do like playing in that gym. If you got length, man, it's hard to score if you can't get out in transition. All right. Your favorite high school rivalry. Oh, you know what? This is going to sound really weird being a kid who grew up from Woodstock. But when I was out recruiting for AAU, I got to go to a Brother Rice Maris game, and that was absolutely bonkers. So Connor Glenn's dad, Mike, uh, is a really nice guy, keeps in touch with me, kind of gives me advice from time to time. It was like, hey, go here and get some pizza, but you better get to the game like halftime and sophomore. Otherwise, you're not getting a seat. I mean, that thing was packed. Um, and so I, I would say just from an experience standpoint, um, that 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 game and that rivalry in that gym that that was something I hadn't seen in a long time well coach we can't thank you enough for jumping on with us uh there's a lot of great great stuff in here that I know our coaches will will be able to take for their own programs and you know like John said we're, we're learning stuff here as we go too so we, we appreciate you taking the time here to join us and uh 
you know, look forward to what you got going on in the next couple of years at Enya. No, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. I love talking hoops. This is great. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Flicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.